Hey there, and welcome to Time for Chai, the podcast series where leaders in manufacturing, commodities, risk, supply chain management, and digital technology come to share truly actionable insight based on real-world experiences. I'm your host, Jake Jacobs, Head of Growth at Chai. Hello and welcome to another episode of Time for Chai with Tom Brady, Executive Director of the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at the University of Colorado Denver Business School and me, Jake Jacobs. Today we're really excited to be talking commodities with Scott Welcome, who is a Director of Commodities Risk at Good Mills Group GmbH, the leading milling company in Europe. Scott's someone who calls it as he sees it, which we think is an often undervalued trait. I don't know about you, Tom, but I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Scott's someone that I've known for a little while, and like I say, he's very straight-talking and has some really, really interesting views of commodities and commodity markets. Scott, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Yes, Scott, thank you. Uh, You know, kind of just to jump right into it, Scott, you know, in in terms of the markets right now, you know, given the nature of your business, I imagine this pandemic has, has made things fairly interesting for you over the last months. How have you been affected? Yeah, hi Tom. Yeah, it certainly has been very interesting. We've uh, we've been affected in, in in multiple ways. Huge demand on the uh, on the end product side, and then stress on on securing supplies of existing contracts and for the additional business because we saw a huge ramp up, particularly in March and April, of uh, in consumer for the flower demand. Um, and then, of course, with with, with the personnel, uh, where they could work, where they couldn't work social distancing and, and, and everything else, making sure our, our staff were protected. And at the same time that our facilities were able to, to work to the, to the maximum capacity. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, full of new experiences for everybody. We've learned a lot on the way, um, good and bad. And I, I think it's, it's gonna just only be good for us in the future. Yeah, very good. You know, and, and, and you know, in regards to the, to the pandemic, you know, how has it affected productivity levels at good mills it's been a real roller coaster i mean coming into the sort of pandemic we take jan and feb volumes were kind of okay but realistically a little bit disappointing as, as any any multinational company we're always looking to grow in terms of revenue and, and volumes and we weren't quite seeing that and then the pandemic come along and our volumes from march were 26 percent above the previous march um, and we, our utilization rate was 106%. So it really just went ballistic. April was, was pretty strong, 10, 15% up, depending on the region. And then May, June, we saw some significant decreases, particularly in the industrial side of the business, where literally we had to close a couple of mills for maintenance. So we really went from the highs to the lows in a, in a very short space of time. Um, and for, a, for a, a meal, you don't really want to do that. You want to try and keep a consistent utilization rate. But obviously the market didn't allow for that. Um, but credit to the mill managers and the teams there, they managed to make it work. And we didn't lose too much time and productivity in, as a group remained pretty high. But uh, it did prove some, some real challenges across the, uh, the seven countries that we operate in. Really interesting stuff. And, and Scott, you know, we're going to come on to the idea of kind of stress testing in a moment. But before we do, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the role of people in manufacturing through the, the pandemic. I know, I know you spoke about it recently, uh, a separate virtual event. Do you have any interesting insights, though, to, to kind of really share on the role that people have played from your perspective as a specialist in managing risk? 
Yeah, I think we, we found that in, in general, all of our staff performed more than they required to do, mm. giving up their time, their effort, not seeing their family as much as they could have done, and really just going in that extra mile. And I think because they believe in the company, they believe in the product, they knew they were supplying a food, a staple food for many people, mm. and they went above and beyond. So that was that was really good to see. You hope people are like that in general, but when you actually see it in real life, then it really makes you feel proud of not just the company, but just humans in, in general, because you can have all these rules, regulations, procedures in place, but it is up to the, the individual to, to want to do that and want to follow them. Um, so that was great. That's really, really great to hear. And you must be, yeah, it sounds like you're kind of really proud by that. But I also think it's very interesting the the way that you're talking about the, the role of Good Meals accurately, that actually what you're doing is really, really important because you're producing a product that so many people across Europe rely on, right? So actually it's a much bigger purpose than just being a manufacturer. Exactly. I mean, we had one guy who decided to stay in one of our countries knowing that when he went back he would have to be quarantined at the border so he spent 14 days wow. in a, just a general hostel um, mm. he, he was allowed to be free we were building a new facility in germany and all the workers had to stay for three months they couldn't leave so we put up some some more facilities for them but still they were unable, unable to go and see their families for three months unfortunately we all have Skype and these sort of things today so they could keep in contact but we're oh. not physically seeing them so yeah it was a real sacrifice for some of these people that's yeah, really really awesome commitment it's you know amazing to hear in this kind of day and age I feel like a lot of people lament the lack of loyalty in the modern workforce and that kind of thing but it feels like you, you know you can still really have those old school values which is fantastic yeah Great stuff. So uh, as I said, you know, it'd be great to talk a little bit about the way that this has almost been like a stress testing exercise for, for Good Meals. How do you think that the pandemic and the result of the pandemic is going to affect things for Good Meals moving forward? Um, I think first and foremost, we really look at our supply chain. Uh, mm. A lot of people are saying, okay, for a company of your volume, you should be taking in bigger shipments from, from around the globe. And I think we were fortunate that we haven't gone down that route and having this sort of local supply was real benefit that, that no mill was having to rely on, on any more than a few hours delivery time. A lot of it's by trucks. And so they, they weren't really being held up at the borders like vessels and, and trains were. So that was, that was really good. And I think that's something that we will look to improve upon and, and, and try to support the local markets a little bit more. Same for our, our packaging and those sort of other products. They, they, they come mainly from, from local suppliers and that was a real benefit as well. We wasn't waiting for some of these products that, that other companies have to take from, from outside their country. So that, that, that was something that, that, that was good and we will just continue to, to try to improve upon um, and probably build upon. How do you think that you're going to be able to kind of improve things like supply chain resilience moving forward? Can you talk a little bit more about that side of things? Yeah, I think, I guess like a lot of countries, we, we kind of took the local farmers, the local suppliers for granted. Sure. They'll always be there, where else they're going to go. And I think we realized that that was a little bit amiss of us. And I think what we will try to do is, is contract with some of the farmers. So we give them the peace of mind. They know we're there for them. Same for the, the manufacturers of the product, of the uh, packaging. The same thing. We will say, look, we know we have this much volume. We, we appreciate your, that you were there for us in, in those hard times. And we will reward them in longer term contracts. 
going forward. Um, so that yeah, that's how we will look to do it and say not taking the local supply for granted because they may always they may not always be there. Um, yeah. that, we've learned that for sure. Very very honest insight. I really appreciate it. Um, so now I want to kind of pivot slightly and talk a little bit about technology. One of the first you know interactions that we had was uh, it was very clear that you were quite skeptical of AI and and some of these kind of you know. Uh, in some ways on vogue topics i hope you don't mind me saying that but you know i think that's that's a fair comment a little bit yeah (laughs) for sure but what i'd really like to to know is you know really what your thoughts are of things like automation and ai and their role in modern manufacturing yeah i think it it definitely is getting an increasing role in in our business certainly in the manufacturing we've embraced it Purely from a cost perspective, like most of the companies, we've had to keep pace. And so a lot of our mills fully automated. Two or three people can run it, run them even from home. So we, we have embraced that side of things. And we have certainly seen some cost savings and some, some greater efficiencies in the business. Where we've been a little bit behind the pace, and I would say this is pretty similar to the, to the whole of the sort of middle market, is in terms of the risk management side of it, predicting prices, predicting demand. We, we've really been a fundamental guy and just taking spreadsheets and, and what's happened in the past. And oh, I've been in the industry 25 years and this is how it's always been. Yeah. Um, and that's somewhere we, we've had to re- refocus and not just say, oh, this AI is for some other sector. Uh, no, we, we need to look at it. We need to see where it can help us. Yeah. Um, and then focus, once we have that those strategy in place, then focus on developing it for our business. Um, so yeah, it's kind of not sticking our head in the stand anymore saying, okay, it's here, it's being used. Let's have a look at it. Where can it benefit us? Mm. Sounds like a, a kind of very prudent approach to adoption. And again, I think that's really something that's resonated with me based on our conversations is that, you, you know, um, looking at things as long as there is a clear point to that adoption. And as long as there's like then kind of quantifiable results from it as well, so black yeah, and white kind of results. I think that's a fair comment, right? I mean, we've been looking at all aspects of, of digitalization and, and that there's many, many different aspects. And, and it's easy to say, okay, yeah, we, we want to go digital. Okay, but in which area, which is going to add benefit? Um, and that's where we, we really are at this moment in time, focusing on which of the parts we need now, what can we park and maybe do in, in three or six months, or what's something that we like, but it's just not, we're not ready for it now. Let's take it up again in a year or, or 18 months. Sure. No, it makes perfect sense. And how about data then, Scott? Because, you know, again, given the markets that Good Mills operates in and the, the way that the kind of operations side of things is set up as well, I imagine that there's some real challenges that come from getting access to data and insights. You know, can you talk about that at all and the challenges that you face and how you kind of mitigate those? Yeah, I, I think we, we have two factors from that, from, on the data. We have some areas where we don't have enough data um, mm-hmm. and, and we need to work with some data providers to get that. But in general, I think we have almost too much data, yeah. but it's not all correlated and we almost don't know how to use it to our advantage. Yeah. Um, and that's probably our biggest area that we need to work on is all this information we have in terms of price and quality, everything else in all these different countries, we need to correlate to provide some feedback for us that we can trade on. And and that's where we're really focusing on. Scott, that's all really, really interesting. Actually, I want to step from that and talk a little bit about, you know, your kind of risk management toolbox. So when you're in your day to day, you know, what are the different um, 
components, I guess, of the toolbox that you like really kind of rely on and, and use continuously. What I'm, I'm trying to do here is just share some more kind of insights and learns with the community that, you know, listen to these podcasts and things that they can kind of take from your experience. Yeah. And I guess the one thing we're trying to focus on there is, is does the quality differentials uh, in our country operate affect the price or is the price more, more uh, related to what's going on in the world? Um, does, does a high protein in one country mean a different price than a high protein in another country to try to see if we can find some correlations between the countries we operate in? Mm-hmm. Yields, that's another one where we're really trying to, trying to do some work on, trying to use some satellite imagery, trying to get out there in the field, speak to farmers, because obviously if we can get a heads up on what the yield is going to be, that, that, that obviously has a real benefit for us. So those are the, the things that, we, that we're focusing on at the moment. And a lot of that at the moment is in general conversation with me, with my grain purchase in the country, mm-hmm. and then with the farmers in the country. And so we want to try to merge that with the technological side of the markets and take the best of both worlds, really. That sounds, sounds uh, really, really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And the other question that I had, Scott, was around your approach for dealing with stakeholders as well. So, you know, again, from a place of action insights, how do you go about dealing with stakeholders, particularly when, you know, folk maybe don't quite, they don't come from a risk management background, so you can't assume uh, knowledge and, and kind of expertise. You have to really lead them through the process and particularly in such an uncertain time like now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess you need to find what drives them. And, and for us, it's, it's the margin. At the end of the day, we are a business. We, we have stakeholders and shareholders who want to see a return. And so the managing of the margin, the, the improvement of margin is key. And so I try to play it to them to say, look, these instruments can help you manage your margin, mm-hmm. uh, mitigate your risk, and hopefully allow you better trading decisions to improve your margin. And, and so, of course, when you tell that to a, to a margin manager, that's music to his ears, mm-hmm. ready to listen. Now, he won't always agree that it's going to help, but if he hears the, 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 the words improve margin, then, of course, <laughs> open to, uh, to the presentation. Brilliant. Great stuff. Over to you, Tom. Scott, just uh, kind of more on, you know, your commodity training and background, but, uh, you know, you might not be familiar with the J.P. Morgan Center for Commodities. And what we're trying to do here at the uh, University of Colorado Denver's Business School is really offer students training across the broad commodity space. So from the production side, learning how commodities are produced to the logistics of transportation, and eventually all the way to the trading floor, how, uh, how, how commodities are traded. So, you know, given that, could you share with some of our folks in the audience, you know, a bit about your career, how you ended up in this role that you're in now? Um, yeah, sure. I, I entered the trade <laughs> many moons back now in 1988, um, straight from school, um, back when there were jobs. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm from London, and I saw a, an advert for a company called Bungie um, in the accounts department of all places. I had no clue who they were or what they did. Um, <laughs> I went there and they told me they're a commodity trading company. I obviously learned that they were one of the founders and one of the big four, still potentially one of the big four. And I just really started to like what they did. It was a, it was a sustainable business. People always have to eat. They were involved in grains. They were involved in oil seeds. They were involved in um, all kinds of products around the oils and fats. 
And I thought, yeah, this is this is an interesting business, and I can see myself growing. And it, it really just just took hold of my curiosity because each country, each region is different and, and requires different foods and different products, and you're sourcing from around the world. So the potential to speak to people in different parts of the globe was really, really interesting to me. And, and it just grew from there. I mean, I started back in the day where our office in Chicago would ring us with the free front month price of the main commodities. And as the newcomer to the trading desk, I had to write them on the blackboard. And <laughs> later they would update them and I'd have to scrub them out and write them again. None of this, 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 everybody can have a screen and you have this much information. It was a real different time, but, but it was fun. Um, and, and, and different, um, and, and say so you got to meet a hell of a lot of people with different characters. And I think that still is the same today in our commodity market. Um, it does change, it does advance, but the characters still, I've found, are great fun and really nice people. I, I can echo some similar uh, experiences with, uh, with the mining business uh, from my background. Um, so, uh, Scott, knowing what you know now, you know, what kind of advice could you give, you know, if you were to go back to Scott, welcome earlier in your career? I think you've got to listen. That, that's one thing that you have to do um, because there's a lot of people there with a lot of information. I think one thing about our trade is people tend to stay in it for a long while. So they have a lot of experience and you, and you can't put money on experience. I, I was lucky and I would recommend if people can do this, but I found three or four people within the trade who had been in it a while, who I trusted, and I kept asking them questions. I was never afraid to ask questions. And I would encourage people to do that. If they're not sure, ask a question. Find these three or four mentors if you want um, and really stick to them. Um, and, and, and also pass on the information to other people. Don't just keep it to yourself. Share the knowledge as well because then you'll get something back. Um, and I would say get out there. I mean, particularly for a commodity that grows in the ground, get out and see it. Um, yes, if you have an analytical mind, if you're a statistician, fine, I understand that. But it also does help you just to get out there, see how it grows, see what the farmer faces. And, and experience it away from just a screen. Get it, get, get in the thick of it. Um, see what a corn crop looks when it's seven feet tall and you're in the middle of it. That, that, that sort of thing. But, and, and have fun. Enjoy it. I mean, we're not on this planet for, for long. Um, and, and, and enjoy what you do. Um, have, fun, have some fun as well. well I've got to say, Tom, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've had some really interesting answers to that kind of question from David Modal Flicks, from Wayne Roberts. I mean, you know, you said something kind of similar in the kickoff episode as well. But I feel like actually what Scott's saying is quite unique there. Um, and I, I haven't heard someone say that kind of thing before. And I actually think, Scott, you took like a, an opportunity to say something a, a lot bigger than just, you know, what I expected you to say in some way, in some ways, actually. Um, so, I mean, last one from, from me, I'd love to just um, go into a little bit more the kinds of things that you look for when you're bringing in interns, entry-level hires, you know, th these little kind of tips that someone out there at university right now at the uh, coins of Virginia Tech or, you know, Tom's institution might hear you say and kind of go, all right, next time I meet a Scott Welcome, I need to make sure that I've done this, this, and this. I think they need to, they need to be have a, have a curiosity about them. They need to want to learn different things. Um, I mean, I never went to university, but I think it's a great place to go and get a basic of an education. Hmm. But I don't want people just to be pigeonholed. I want those guys and girls who come in who can think out of the box, who have an entrepreneurial mind, who are willing to to fail because. 
you need to try things. Some things will work and some things won't, but don't, don't be worried about the failures. Um, it may not just not be ready for that time and that moment, but keep trying, keep trying new ideas, keep testing, asking the questions. Um, yeah, general curiosity and entrepreneurial spirit, I think you need to have. Um, and also, in particularly in our market, a social skill, because as I say, you are dealing with farmers, you are dealing with the product. You, you do need to have those social skills to be able to talk to people and not, you're not just talking to a, to a computer or, or taking facts off a, off a computer, which, I, which I, I'm not going to say, uh, this is my skeptical, but it's, it's getting more and more important and it's a good skill, but social skills you can, you can never replace. Brilliant stuff. Great. And Scott, last, any last kind of thoughts or words of wisdom at all? No, I think just going back onto my, onto my comments about don't, don't be willing to, to keep asking questions and you always, you can always learn. I'm doing the same now with this AI and this digitalization. I mean, if you'd asked me eight, a year, 18 months ago, I would have dismissed it. Now I'm seeing it. Now I'm understanding a bit more. We're talking to people like yourself. And I can see the benefits. And so I think this is what I'm saying. No matter what industry you come from or what sector you are in, be open to everything. Um, and don't dismiss it until you try it, until you, you get a bit more information, you dig a bit into it. That's definitely something I, that I, I will continue to do as long as I'm in the industry. Great stuff. Brilliant. Well, Scott, it's been really, really good to have you on. Tom, I'm, I'm sure you kind of feel the same. Great insights, uh, Scott. Thank you much. Thanks. Yeah, no thank problem. you very much. Have a great rest of the day. And you. Take care, guys. Thank you. So that's it for today. As always, please do get in touch if you feel like you've got something different to say and you'd like to come on the podcast as a future guest. If you've also got any themes, topics, or people you'd like us to interview in future episodes, again, let me know. My email address is jake at chai-uk.com. If you enjoyed Time for Chai, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Today's podcast was produced by Alejandro Giron of Giron & Co Podcasting Services. Special thanks to my colleagues Stephen Butler, Chris Evans and Marcus Dixon. It was written and hosted by myself, Jake Jacobs. Have a great week. See you next time.